Hello, everyone, and welcome to this live weekend edition of To The Moon, Allison, all the way from Glacia. I am freezing here. Actually, I'm sweating, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep this on just for the gag. But we are here to talk about the best in science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, and romance. And you know what? Nobody does it better than our guest today, Stacey McEwen, coming to us live from Australia. Stacey, hello, and how are you? Hello. That was probably the nicest introduction I've ever had in my life. Really? It's that was so undeserved. And, and I'm taking this off because, so I'm in orange, and it was really funny because, so for those of you who have not read Stacy's books, the Glacian Trilogy, and there's two out now, they are all set in this fictional world that is snowy and up on a mountain, everyone's freezing to death. And then I looked up where you live. Stacy. you live basically in the Australian equivalent of where I live. It's never even cold where you are. No, true. That is true. In fact, we've had like the warmest winter on record ever. Yeah, um, and, and I'm like, much so that there was only a few days that I was like, should probably put a jumper on today. Maybe. Um, yeah, so I understand the contradiction. So just, I have to translate back to oh, yeah, American sorry. English because jumper, there's, she's not jumping, it's a sweater. So I yeah, have no, there's no, mm-mm. there's no unaliving happening. I mean, like, well, that and you live in a place with lots of jumping animals, so I'm like, she's wearing a kangaroo. <laughs> I just have to clarify. Not wearing a kangaroo. One of oh no, my sweater is made out of kangaroo fur. To be clear, it is, is made it really? out of kangaroo. Fur. How do they weave that? Do they shave them, or do you still have like the kangaroo's head on top? Because that's a little creepy if it is. Well, so creepy. the tail acts as like the belt or a sash, mm-hmm. and then you can use like the head as like a hood. Oh, I like it. It's a built-in hoodie. But I'm classy. I don't do that. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I can see that that would not be on style for you. And, you know, as, as we were talking earlier, I am on style today with my retro Glacian you banner. Are. Like I'm in the throne room and I would really like to throw myself into the pool of Iskra, mostly just to fix my hair because it's hot and I'm sweating. Um, but, you know, I was I was so excited to introduce Stacy. I didn't even introduce myself. And I'm Allison Hubbard. I'm the author of the Bourbon books and also works with speculative fiction, which is why I have the show that makes no sense to anyone because it's speculative fiction fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and romance, but like romanticity is a thing now. So I feel like having the romance in there is almost, it's kind of required and no one does romanticity better than you, Stacey. Um, and I appreciate that you've like tried to get your husband and the rest of the world in on this. Um, so as I said, before we went live, some people know Stacey as the amazing fantasy author that she is. Some of them, some of the people know you more as the person who wanders down hallways, flipping your hair and trying to tell your husband that he has to brood more and maybe flare a nostril. Um, has he decided to leave you yet or is he going to stick around for the entire series? Well, no, he, he knows that philanthropy is my passion yes, and that I just want to help the world be better. Um, so he's in it for the long haul. That's good. Um, if anything, he's become quite cocky. Now, I understand that this is usually something we may like in a male main character, mm-hmm. but in your husband, I've learned that that's not something we really like. Um, yeah, he seems, he truly believes that he's the talent of this operation at this point. Um, yeah, so yeah, where it began with him just being like quite annoyed, he now seems to relish it. Um, so people need to stop feeling sorry for him. Okay. I think that's I think, my main message. 
Yeah, that um, he should not be getting sympathy here for any of that. And honestly, the the time when he was supposed to be staring longingly into your eyes and instead marked you like Simba, I was like, no, he's gone. That was my first red flag. Yeah, my very first red flag of he might be enjoying this. Well, I think he did. And I don't know if you make him read any of your books, because then if he did, he would just get with the program and wouldn't need to be taught all this stuff, which is pretty straightforward if he just was reading and following the plot and knowing what was going on with Dawson and Ryan and all the people on the ledge and the people down in Tursor and up in Glacia. And I had to actually, these are my notes. This is how I take notes. It's on the back of an envelope. You probably can't see it um, in marker because I was never going to get all the names right. So every time a new name came along, I was writing it down to make sure I'm I would get very this correct. So um, but one of the names, I just lost it when we got to meet Kazriel, uh, mostly because I knew he was a balloon creature. And I was hoping he might join us today on the interview, but he seems to be busy. So that's fine. We don't need him. It's okay. So sorry. Yeah, no, we definitely need to talk to his people before he makes it. Yeah, I was. Mind. It's hard enough to coordinate because I'm in the United States. I'm in California, and we were going back and forth with your publicist because you're you're on another day now. We're not even on the same. We're not. We're barely on the same planet. True, it's Sunday here. Yeah, Sunday. How is Sunday? Tell us about the future. What are you doing? Very sunny. Um, at least in my part of the world, it's very sunny. Uh, nothing bad or catastrophic has happened yet. So. That's all we can really hope for. It is. I mean, it's morning. So right now you still have the best of the day ahead of you. And hopefully this interview will, will set you on a good path and, and we'll we'll take it from there. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. What I want to know is how did you get the idea to be writing about a place cold, bitter, high in the sky when you are living in the warm Gold Coast of California? Where did the whole idea for this, these characters in this trilogy come from? What What's the inspo there? Well, I get this question a lot. Um, I'd like to open by saying that I've been I've been cold before, uh, so I know what that feels like, um, and that I I did use some of my imagination. Yes, no. uh, maybe I'm not very nuanced in uh, things made of snow and ice, um, <laughs> but uh, I looked at pictures on Pinterest of snowy mountains, and I thought that I knew what I was talking about. Um, I no, think. <laughs> the inspo came from oh first of all i hate the cold i hate it so much you're like and so um, does Boston. <laughs> yeah the few the few times that i've been to the snow um i've literally gotten there the first day been wet and exhausted and thought why have i paid thousands of dollars to come on a trip like this i don't understand <laughs> the purpose i don't understand where people why people smiling here Mm-mm. i'd like to know why they're smiling are they hiding something What's so fun about this? I don't, I don't know. They're, um, probably, they're the kind who have like those warmers in their pockets because I think you probably didn't have that or your kangaroo okay. hood because that would probably help as a start. But honestly, I don't particularly like being cold either. And I live in a place that's really, it's almost rarely ever cold. And then when I do go to the snow, it's like, this is nice. Five minutes of this is nice. And then I'm like, okay, I can go home now. Oh, I like the scenery and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. I want to stay in the chalet and, and drink hot chocolate or coffee or like whiskey or scotch or something that's what I want to do um but uh I I really wanted to write a story about um a character that had to survive some kind of wilderness because I love those stories um but they've been done a million times before 
and I had to come up with something original because I don't know if you know this, Alison, being an author, but we actually have to come up with original stories. It's it, so annoying. It gets really it, hard when you're like... It's the most annoying. <laughs> all the stories have been told and then you think you have a cool idea and then someone's like, oh, just like this book that came out six yeah. months ago, but somehow you didn't hear about it. Correct. Like, damn it. God damn it. Yeah. It's like every single time that happens. But I thought instead of doing like the dude who's stuck on the boat, like trying to find desert island or like um you know someone stuck in the desert or something um trying to find an oasis I would do this snowy landscape so I already had like the snowy landscape thing I knew I wanted to write about like a powerful fierce um female main character um it made sense to me that she would have some kind of deadly weapon that she was really fond of and uh I would assume that you'd need to burn things to keep warm so I just I was like I guess it's going to be an axe doesn't make sense for her to be carrying around a sword um, so I had that and then I had the idea of what if, um, the, her whole objective as a character isn't, um, trying to escape the icy hostile place. Like what if she can't escape? What if that's the entire premise is that she's been trapped there her whole life. And, um, so I sort of started building this world to trap her there and, and wondered how that would happen. Like, how do you trap it? Yeah. How do you trap some, like, a character in a place like that? And, and so that's where the idea for the ledge came. Well, I love it because it's like ice block by ice block, but then it's like, yeah, you can get out, but you're not going to survive if you do because there's that thing called the chasm. And, yeah, yeah it's death if you go it's down really that way. Far. So, so you're just far, yeah. Stuck up there with your trees that might have people's initials on it, meaning that's theirs for their firewood and their axe, and you better back off, mister. Um, yeah. And, you know, you might, you might have sex with, the boy next door if he's because he's warm I mean body heat's a thing I think that that was yeah. a really pragmatic choice for Dawson to make to be warm I'm in favor of sex for warmth I don't see the problem there and honestly I liked how Sorry. we established early on that it's like these people they don't have anything else to do <laughs> like, what else are they going to do also valid. she's alone she's alone she, you know? she doesn't have her den of girls anymore and that made me really sad mm. as well because uh, a lot of the story, well, not a lot, but there's bits of the story that are told through flashbacks or just Dawson reminiscing about how things were before it became, well, it's just Dawson now, which is how she ends up being one put up for, you know, I, I am tribute. And we have like this little <laughs> bit of a Hunger Games thing, but there's no games involved. It's just you get there. And if you get picked up, you're just, well, you're dead meat. Good luck. Bye. See ya. After yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you're screwed and goodbye. And when there's nobody else behind you to like, well, yes, it could be me. It's me. Yeah. This time. All right. But that, that was just the beginning of the story. We were like this far into the book before Dawson gets into this whole new world and taken to Galatia. I'm sorry. I just keep pointing at this. It's sparkly and it makes me <laughs> amused. Um, where are these creatures? So one of the things I really loved about your book and I read a lot of fantasy and I, I do not want to denigrate any other fantasy author out there who's doing their own spin on things. But I see a lot of the same stories where it's like, okay, there's, there's knights and there's a kingdom and there's a castle and there's a something. And we've all seen like the JRR. I forget how many R's are there before we get to the Tolkien. And that's really fun. And that version of it is kind of all in our cultural understanding of what things are like. But I like that you're like, we're not going that direction. And it still will totally feel fantasy because of the magic. And just like, I was asking myself, all right, well, is this high fantasy? Sure, why not? I don't really know what high fantasy requires, but you have that 
I would say like integrated magic that everybody just accepts because these creatures and they're not people, they just start flying and running off with people by their talons. And that's kind of one of those terrifying ideas. Like I was yeah. doing a lap in our neighborhood and told my kid, I'm like, look, on that wall over there yesterday when I was walking, there was a hawk. And she's like, mom, you can't be outside with there's a hawk because you're small enough. It'll try to take off with you. I'm like, I'm not. That <laughs> That's rude. And you're short, too. Um, but <laughs> a person sized one where they're even bigger than people and then they have these talons and they just pierce yeah. your flesh and drag you off. And so what animal hurt you as a child that inspired that? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I'm from Australia, so like, I there's pick whichever one that you want. They're all um, terrifying and or cute or both. Yeah, but true. Kind of uh, my husband does like to joke that this whole idea for the glaciers came from the fact that I'm deathly afraid of chickens. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like the fact that they scratch. That's so suspicious to me. <laughs> What are you They're very small dinosaurs. They're nuggety dinosaurs. Correct. Um, yeah, I have know. no trust. I have no trust for chickens. Um, roosters are worse. They're so angry. Mm -hmm. Who hurt them? Not me. But I mean, it might have They just I, run at you. I've eaten a lot of chicken in my life, so if they look at me and can tell just my makeup of how many nuggets I've consumed over my life, they probably do have reason to be angry. But that's why they, why I don't eat alligator or shark or anything that could possibly eat me in the wild because I have a non-aggression pact. I haven't signed one with chickens, and maybe maybe I should, and then be like, peace out, chickens. This is an interesting new classification for a diet because that's mm -hmm. not vegetarianism or veganism. This is... Uh, this is like a pragmatic choice that you're making to it boycott is. certain animals yeah. so that well, they don't find you to seek vendetta. That's actually exactly why, because I don't know how much horror you read, but um, we've had our friend Josh Mallerman come on several times and he's written a book. I mean, he's most well known for Bird Box and things like that. And that's terrifying, but nothing in Bird it Box is. is real. But he wrote a book that was originally called On This, The Day of the Pig, and then it was republished as Pearl. And Pearl is a pig, and Pearl will come find me and kill me. So I am i don't eat pork anymore because he kind of scared the crap out of me to the point oh where I'm like, God. that's it, I'm done, I'm done. And, I, you know, I told one of my friends who already is a vegetarian, I'm like, you just can't read this. You just can't. It's too much for you. I want you to be soothed and not have nightmares <laughs> because I can't get past it. And now my kids are like, mom, why no bacon? I'm like, you'll eat your turkey bacon and you'll be happy. <laughs> but I understand. The turkeys do not pose as much of a threat. And okay. And I get it. Kat, Kat's asking some questions and she, she has some valid questions, but she's putting them all in one question. So hold on for the massive wall of text. Here we go. So Kat wants to know, Catherine Curry Haas, AKA uh, life introverted on everything where she's got a jillion followers. Hey Stacey, are you a plotter or a pantser? And do you have a set of writing habits, routines you do to prioritize writing between being a parent and trying to turn your husband into a fictional boyfriend? Asking for a friend who is myself, who lately has cleaned literal baseboards to get out of writing lately. Kat, I know you have, you've remodeled like three houses instead of getting back <laughs> to the work that you're supposed to be doing. And we're waiting on pages. So uh, she also says, standard for me and yes we know but i'll put the wall of text back up so let's take these things one at a time stacy are you a plotter or a pantser or do you just like stare at chickens until you get inspiration for how to make them more terrifying and icy ice chickens i feel like now that you mentioned that that would have been the smartest course but i i am a plotter um 
probably to a painful degree. Like I will literally sit on sit on like the planning phase or the brainstorming phase for months before I start writing if I can, unless I'm pushed into beginning writing. But like I usually have like just a, a, a plain blind journal thing that looks like this and I just fill it with basically bullshit that doesn't make sense to, to anyone except for me, you know. Like I just... Um, and none of it's ordered or organised or anything. But once I've done that, I feel like I can start a plot outline and so I'll do that. And once I've got the plot outline and I sort of know chapter by chapter what scenes need to be included in those chapters, then I'll start writing. So, um, and then, you, you know, halfway through the story it gets derailed and I've got to change the whole thing. Um, do you grab a new notebook at that point and go back to the beginning or do you just, like, tear out pages, wad them up, throw them in the fire for warmth? yeah. Basically, or you know, sometimes I just eat them because I'm angry. Um, your words quite literally, I quite eat literally eat my words. Um, yeah, so that's sort of my process. That was the most asshole thing I've ever said in my life, by the way. That's no, but I mean, people want to know because there are there are people who are plotters and there are people who are pantsers, and it feels like we're at war with each other over the right way to write books. And the, the stupid thing is, of course, there's no right oh, way. Oh, that's ridiculous. There yeah. is no right way to write a book. Um, ask and, anyone and people, ever. Yeah, and people who are like, oh, but I'm this, which are you. And it's like, if they do the same thing you do, it's like they're, it looks, it's for validation. And if they don't, they're like, then I must be doing it wrong because they wrote amazing books and mine aren't doing what I want them to do. So I must need somebody else's Not process. at all. Yeah. It's, I can tell you that I've tried... Um, pantsing a book before and it's mm-hmm. gone so far off the road that I couldn't actually bring it back on track and then the next book that I tried to write I plotted out everything to a painful degree still went off the tracks didn't manage to finish the manuscript um so I don't know I just don't I don't think that there's a right way I think there's just like a preferred way for you and sometimes the manuscript's going to write really nicely and easily um, and sometimes it's going to be a really hard, long slog, you know? That, um, that is true. And I know I've written books that have come out really quickly. And it's like, this is just like whipped cream. You're just spraying the nozzle and things are kind of getting everywhere. And other times you're just turning butter and going, how much longer do I have to do this before something usable comes up? And a cat adds, the only thing she is sure of is that my way of writing is absolutely wrong. Cat, that is not true. I've read your books. No, that's, that's not, not true. Not accurate. But we always say that about ourselves, don't we? Well, we, we do, and especially especially if we're hitting roadblocks, but seeing what's working on somebody else's road doesn't help us with our roadblocks. So it does, it, it is lovely, and I love your, I really just like your book, the aesthetic of the nice black notebook there. I'm the kind of person to be like, I don't want to write in it because it's so pretty, and my handwriting is, aw- I mean, you can't see this because my webcam is probably not there, but do you see how bad <laughs> my handwriting is? And you wonder no, why. I see. And since I was oh, listening, hi. do you like all well, my notes there? I'm a, t- I'm a teacher, yeah. and so I do like handwriting. Yeah. But um, I get excited okay. over stationery. Do you get excited yeah. over stationery? I, I get quite excited over stationery. Um, I get excited about the fact that it's tax deductible. Um, <laughs> so this is like motivation for me. Um, so if I've got a, a, a book that I need to start um, mm-hmm. or anything, like this is the thing that gets me like real excited about it. So. Um, yeah, I'm just like woohoo, and I like I buy fancy pens and stuff, and it's really fun. Have a so good old time using like Crayolas, like I was, because mine are just whatever I found from my kids' books. And I, I need this, thank you. And this was an envelope. I pay most of my bills online, so this was a bill that I didn't pay. Good for me. All right. I mean, like that's you're you're so real for that. 
It's it's accurate. Um, it's not organized, but it's accurate. If my kids touch this book, oh, they they might they might need to change their living situation. Um, they're gonna live with the chickens, honestly. Yeah, they're gonna put them in chicken coop for sure. Well, and I don't know if we got all of the things you t you mentioned a little bit oh. when Kat was asking about your writing habits and routines. You do have the children who should not touch that book. Yours, mm. I saw a picture, so I'm assuming they're still of the age where they are around a lot. Like they're just there. Like they probably yeah. aren't a lot. Like mine are gone now from 8:30 when I throw them at their various schools or eight in the morning, and then I've got to go get them on various days because they all have weird pickups now because my middle's in middle school, and it just it, all I do is drive now. Yeah, but are yours yours are still short enough that they're underfoot most of the time? Well, no. So they're um, eight and uh, nine. Sorry, she just turned nine and five okay. now. Okay. So um, they the youngest one started school this year, which is amazing. Oh. Because it's meant that I, I teach, but I this year I've only taught three days a week. So I've had Mondays and Tuesdays every week at home in a nice, quiet house to myself. And it has been absolute heaven. And it's the only reason that I've gotten through the year so far as well, honestly, because it's so much work. <laughs> like, it's so much work. I don't know if you know this, Alison, but writing, so much work. Have it you is, that? and because so I think everybody has different life events and different things that they're balancing, whether it's work or kids or travel or whatever they're working around. And for me, I wrote for years, just like bits here and there. And then I started the book that I first had, like my first. I'm really going to query this one. Okay, you know that book, the one that's ready. Yeah. To it took several. This years. is my best stuff. Yeah, like one hour a week, not even every week, when my mother-in-law would watch my youngest. And I got to about 65,000 words. And then he went to the magical place of preschool where they actually did have chickens. So I don't, and I'm all looking at a little one eye up going, I'm not sure if I trust them anymore. But they, they raised all of my children and none of my children are afraid of chickens. So I guess that's okay. And once he was gone at school, I finished that book in two months and I'm just like, yeah. Oh, so the, the thing here was that I have to be able to think and not have you going mommy, 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 mommy. And that does make a difference. So honestly, 100%. That, that makes a huge difference. And for me, there are times when now you're in Australia and your holidays are like opposite ours. Cause it's okay. You're coming in. So do you even have fall the same time or are you spring now? What season? is No. It? So we, we're just, we've just come into spring now. So we've just finished our winter coming into spring. Okay. So all our holiday, like obviously all of our holidays are at the same time. They're just in opposite weather. So our Christmas right. is in summer. Yeah. So bikini Christmas party is totally normal there. And you know, it's, it's fall leaves and Easter eggs, which sure that makes sense. And so I, I get that. So I don't know what your school kids holidays are like. Are they, like for me, I've been waiting for them to go back to school because when they're home, I'm just like, don't kill each other. Stop. Stop. What are you doing? Up the ice maker. Like that happens in my house. All the time. So we've just finished our semester. Uh, we've just finished our term three and okay. we've got two weeks. So this is the start of two weeks of holidays before we go back for our final term. And then we've got our summer holidays, which are like six weeks long. So I guess it's just reversed. So yeah. our long holiday is over over Christmas and the new year. And then we come back at the end of January and we start our next school year. So, but you guys, 
And every time I talk to Americans about this, they're like, that's so weird. I'm like, no, do you know what's weird? You guys start your school year in September. That's weird. Mm -hmm. No, it is weird. And honestly, yours makes more sense because we always have to have the 2022, 2023, 2023, 2024 school year. Mm. Yours is just like, it is the year it is. And that's it. Why are you guys making things complicated? And it makes a lot of sense. But it's that nobody wants to start or stop a year in the middle of snow. Like, that's just, that's de that's depressing. And but you, you need to have your large... You need to have your long holidays in the middle in summer. I get yeah, it. I think I think that's yeah. all you can do about it. Um, and so, Kat, your way is not wrong. Your way works for you. Stace is working around children who are now on holiday, and hopefully, now that they're a little bit older, you're able to get a little bit more done with those, especially those days off. Now you've got a holiday for a couple of weeks. I don't know if you're just gonna drink the whiskey you were mentioning earlier to get through. <laughs> actually, think you can get stuff done. If so, kudos. But to each their own, to each their own drink. I mean, I will, but it will be in the dead of night, um, which is how I wrote Ledge anyway uh, because I still had uh, Dean, my youngest. He was he was four, three, or three and four when I, I wrote Ledge, and so he was still underfoot all the time, at home all the time. Um, I didn't have the free days like I do this year where, where I'm kidless. So ledge was literally written, um, in between the hours of 8 PM and 12 AM every night at the dinner table. Um, because there was no hope for doing it any other time. The day. fact that you wrote that and in the middle of the night and you were coherent, I, I don't even know how to process that because the fact that you were able to write words after midnight, for me, after 9 p.m., my brain's just kind of mush, and I'm, I don't even know where I am or what's happening. So I are you a night owl? Can't that do it very well. I, I am a night owl. I find that I reach a point where I that's when I'm like, I feel like I should spring clean. Like that seems to be like the good thing that I could do now. Um, so, yeah, I am a night owl. Um, but having said that, uh, I did not claim that anything that I wrote was coherent um, or that I was coherent. Um, it was just there, and then once it's there, you can edit it, right? So I I wrote a very <laughs> dodgy, scrappy version of Ledge, and then it took a lot of editing to get it up to scratch. But to be very honest with you, I quite literally never want to have to work like that again because it was it was it was not it was not sustainable, and I was waking up in the morning and going to work, you know. Um, that's not a fun time for anyone and it means no downtime for you as a human being, which I've learned we do need. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so as much as I'm really proud of that book and, like, it was a means to an end, um, I was determined that when I wrote Chasm it was not it was not going to be in the same fashion. I was not going to be burning the candle at both ends and I was going to utilise these couple of days off that I had um so chasm was a bit of a mixture so dean wasn't at school yet but i did put him in kindy and so i had one day a week one day a week where my eldest was in school and dean was in kindy and um i could write my little heart out and then i went to work the rest of the time and anything that i needed to make up i would still do it at night but i limited myself so that i was still going to bed at a decent hour and i was doing less at night um, and, but this year has been a lot better because I've had those two days. Having said that, I started at a brand new school and went um, in a brand new class and that has posed its own challenges because I felt like I was basically starting from scratch as a teacher and trying to 
traverse a brand new job and transition my kids into a brand new school and it's much further away from home and yeah I spend a lot of my time in the car so this has been really challenging in its own way just different um fingers crossed that next year um there are there are there's more free time less driving um less teaching hopefully and and yeah and I can write more in the light of day because yeah, daylight writing is usually better for, I mean, there are people who that's their preferred time. They are more alert at night and God bless their biological clock being set to weird circadian rhythms, but it's, it's not most of us. So for people who do it and are like, no. well, if you really care about it, you'll do it at night. But the flip side is if you really care about it and then you read it and you're like, this is not coherent. And now I'm not, <laughs> it. it's a trade-off, you know? You know, okay, so yeah. Melissa wanted to know, she said, Stacey, she said, Stacey, you're, I love your videos, you're hilarious. What's the last book you've read and loved? Uh, the last book I read was a romantic comedy by Tessa Bailey called Fixer Up, um, which was like a fake dating type scenario, and it was really, really smutty. And Yes, and I it was just like a really good palate cleanser because I'd just come off the back of reading um, three fantasy books in a row and those fantasy books that I read were really, really good, but they weren't uh, fantasy books that I necessarily read by choice. That sounds terrible, but what no, I'm trying to say is that I was passed those books by people and said, can you please read this and provide a review? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can. So I read these three books that were on my list. They were ARCs and things like that that I'd be given and then after very, very heavy, three very, very heavy high fantasy books, I was like, I need a, I need a rom-com. So I read that and I enjoyed it immensely. Well, and so Kat, so she loved that book. So I'm guessing, Kat, if you haven't already told Melissa, put that one on the list. Because I know we are always talking about getting it was, it, yeah, it was super, it was, yeah, it was very fun. And we're looking for the high smut content because that is something I know Melissa specifically is looking for good smut. Uh, Kat, I'm not saying you're looking for good smut, but I know Melissa was looking for smut. So if Stacey says <laughs> money enough, then that's that's good to know. Because it is you do, I think, the same thing I do, which is you go back and forth between um, going for fantasy or then rom-coms and especially when you have kind of yeah. head in both worlds it's also easier for me to separate books if i'm not reading like back-to-back -back same genre i like to have something else in there and for me a lot of times i'll get like a horror in there or like i'll go yeah. do something ridiculous romance and it's just a lot easier for my brain to separate like putting a little line in them and it's so funny because i do read multiple books at the same time do you do that or do you try to keep yours like separate finish one then the I next try, one. I, I used to read multiple books at the same time but I find that um, and I still do sometimes if I have like a break from writing but I find that if I'm writing as well and then reading multiple books at the same time and like just with everything else in life it's just too many tabs open in my brain and it actually becomes unenjoyable now so sometimes I go back to that when there's like a dip if I'm on holiday or whatever I've got an audio book going but then I've got a physical book going and that sort of thing but no, I try to streamline it now. But I'm very much like you. Like I'll read, I'll read a fantasy, and then I follow it up with a rom com. And for some reason, that's usually followed up by like um, war fiction. And um, then after that, I'll read a suspense, and then I go back to fantasy again. So I kind <laughs> of yeah, yeah. And I don't know why I'm like that, but no, I like that because there are some people works. I know. Like they have their one lane and they don't leave that lane. And even if yeah, people are I've loving, lots of friends like that. They're like, they're like I, I only read this, and I just think 
doesn't your brain want a little bit of mix it up there? And, and I do, I do the same thing with, I've got one in audio and then one either physical or Kindle because it's like my ears are doing one thing and my eyes are doing another thing. And that helps that separation. But it's so funny because people are like, how do you read more than one book at once? Well, we don't usually watch we, we, we growing up, we all watched shows and we would watch yeah. different shows and we weren't like, but I got growing campaigns completely confused with family matters. Like, guys, it's different. <laughs> no, you didn't. But I don't know if it's because of the visual matter and that we're having to create these people in our heads and we can't yeah. do that. Or maybe it's we just blame binging TV now that we only do watch one show. And then when some places only release one at a time, we're like, how dare you? And they're like, we used to do this all the time. And we're like, but we don't like it anymore. I yeah. want to watch 10 hours and I'm watching it now. I very much think that it's the latter. Um, yeah. Because as, even as a kid, I read multiple books um, mm-hmm. at the same time and I just picked up the one that I was in the mood for and I never seemed to have an issue like trying to get back into the world. I just like picked it up again. I was like, yeah, no, I remember. I also think it has something to do with our like our comprehension skills and our ability to be able to um, flip into that, like the effort that our brain is going to to keep up with the world and to comprehend it. Um, so that might have something to do with it as well. But, um, sometimes I think, am I flipping between books because my brain has an attention span that is, you know, that of a gnat and I can't actually stay engaged in one story at a time anymore? Like, have I become so used to scrolling through social media and having like a plethora of options available to me on Netflix that I'm just like used to jumping back and forth between but um yeah I don't know I don't know what it is I just know that sometimes the thought of reading a couple books at once is completely overwhelming and so I won't do it and sometimes I'm like totally fine with it I've got an audiobook going and I read that in the car or listen to it in the car or, or while I'm doing the housework and then I've got the physical and I've got something else on the kindle and and it just works Okay, and, and Elisa says, I always read only one book at a time because I didn't want to put it down, but I was also the kid who would always eat all the veggies, then all the meat, et cetera, at dinner. Uh, Elisa, can your food touch or is that a, is that a thing? Because I know my sister won't let her food touch, and I didn't know that growing up, but she needed, she should have gotten like the cafeteria-style trays with the segmented stuff. And I've never, I've never seen Elisa not let her food touch, but I don't know. But I get that, like that one, and then move on, and then this one. Yeah. I actually think that's a really healthy way to like work your way through life because I find that like the older I get, the more I convolute all the things on my list that I have to do and I start jobs and then don't finish them. And I'm talking about like everyday little jobs or her food can touch. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, and I'm trying to think of last time I've seen, like I know Elisa in real life and I've seen her eat food, but I've never seen her eat more than one food at a time like a sandwich, but the sandwich is supposed to touch because it's a sandwich. It's not like a sandwich next to something else. So now I'm sitting there picturing all the things I've seen Elisa eat and I don't think I should. Now starting to think that I'm a very chaotic eater. Like if I have chicken nuggets and chips on a plate, I'm like going chicken nugget, chip, chip, chicken nugget, chip, chicken nugget, chip, 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 you know, like it's chaos. Now we need like the the chaotic, neutral, lawful good. We need to figure out where we all find in our, in our reading styles and on our food styles. And honestly, I do know like, so Kat says ADHD reader brain, ADHD reader brain is real. It totally is. And I know that for some of us having things like for me, I love audiobooks, And for me, it's not so much an attention span thing. It is I have no time to just sit and read a book. And oh, I'm yeah. like, the minute my body gets too comfortable, I'm asleep. So yeah, yeah. I can't do that. If I'm so if I'm doing that, 
driving, I'm walking, I'm folding all the laundry and that's fine. But it's not, it's not something that I can just, Oh, okay. I'm going to sit and read this book. iPad to the face. You know, it's, it's, I get a little dent in my head. So I understand very much me as well. Yeah. Like you get me too comfortable and I'm snoring. So that, that helps. But I do know people are like, oh, I can't focus on a book unless it's like that. And others who are like, I can't focus on a book if it's audio because in my mind water. So I will never read or shame anybody who likes one style over another. All ways of reading are great. I'm never going to be ableist, but well, you're blind and you read by Braille. That's not right. Guys, seriously, with your fingers, this, this is not your eyeballs. Like reading with ears is great. Reading with fingers is great. It's, it's all good. So I'm, I'm fine with it. But I mean, I understand teachers want children to read with their eyes so that they learn to process and break down the words. That's a skill too. And so you're teaching, are you teaching little people to read or older kids who probably haven't figured it out by now? Um, well, I've done a mix over the years, but this year I'm teaching year five kids who are around 10 years old. <laughs> um, so for the most part, they've got it figured out um, with the exception of a few there's still lots of reading skills that they need to learn. So it's something that we do every single day. Um, but otherwise, yeah, no, I've, I've definitely taught younger year. I've taught all the way down in prep, which year is year, when they're five years old and they enter school. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've done the entire span of teaching kids how to read. Um, and it is a very, very large task, but a really rewarding one. It's always been my favourite part of teaching, I reckon, teaching kids how to read. Well, and my husband teaches, and it is year five here too. So 10-year-olds are in fifth grade. I know when I talk to my friends in the UK, we always have to do the translation of like, what is prep? What is nursery? Where is your kid? What is, yeah. I don't know what that means. I had a it's literally different. It's literally different in every country. It's, <laughs> it's so confusing. One of my friends, we were, we were talking about getting good collagen and I was telling her she could have jello and she's like, jelly. I'm like, no, not jelly. Jelly has pectin. And then the fact that jello and jelly are different things in different countries. I'm like, can we at least call yes. food the same? I knew the whole crisps versus chips. You guys call them chips. They call them crips. And I, I thought yours, because of the accent, you'd be more like them. But I think you guys are more like us. So everybody's just. Well, I, we have so much. We've got a lot of British blood. So I think yeah. lots of. But we do have very different terms to Britain. We sort of just started making up our own stuff. In Australia, everything is a chip. Everything is a chip. Hot. Yeah. Fries are chips. Crisps are chips. Everything's a chip. Um, crackers are chips. Um, yeah, every everything everything's a chip, and then we have biscuits, which are not the same as your biscuits. Your biscuits uh, are cookies. Yeah. Yes. Okay. My friend was salon, uh, and she's like, "I got tea and a biscuit." I'm like, "I know you're at a nice salon, but it sounds like you're at a doggy spa because they gave you a biscuit for being a good girl." And she's like, <laughs> "I know, but just it sounded weird. I didn't know what was happening, but I'm glad." You she have a cup of tea. That's that's that we inherited from the Brits. But yeah, you have a cup of tea and you have a biscuit. It's not a dog biscuit, and you guys that's have like, like dough. You guys have like dough biscuits. Ours are dough biscuits and KFC makes them where it's like cut out rounds and you slice it in the middle and you put honey butter and just raise your cholesterol in one bite just right there. And they're delicious. And we also have the, do you guys have red lobster down there to have the cheddar bay biscuits? No. They are the best things ever. It's 80% cheese and 2% biscuit and some garlic in there. And then they're warm. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it's kept a mediocre seafood restaurant in business for at least 50 years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my biscuits are the best. And the lobsters 
questionable, but that biscuit, man, that's what I wanted. Yeah, I, and I don't know, and I was trying to figure out, I was, I have British people that I contact when I'm trying to have British characters say things appropriately, and I couldn't figure out what to call a crescent roll, because they don't have crescent rolls, and she's like, a bap. I'm like, I can't use that word, that's offensive. She's like, it's it's not. I'm like, are you sure? Because it sounds like it's offensive, because here, <laughs> it's, it's kind of an offensive term, but it just, I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that word. We're going to, we'll find something else. You can else just use roll. roll. I know. Just say bread roll. Funny. I'm like bread roll. It's, it sticks in my mouth. I don't like how that sounds. I get, and I also <laughs> well, like, set up like that. I I have too much food in most of my books, so these terms are important to me to figure out what they're eating. Because you know, none of my books have people rushing towards limited supplies and fighting over like the three scraps of beans they could get. Mine are always eating constantly and have been told like don't read Allison's books while fasting. So we have we have kind of like a different way of doing things. So I need to know. And I'm not going to call it that. That's creepy. Okay. And Elisa wanted to know if you see a difference in your students who would have been year one or two during COVID. Like, how are they? Because Elisa is also a teacher. So she's seen what's happened. I don't know how you guys handle the quarantine. You're kind of already quarantined. You're an entire continent unto yourself. Yeah. yeah. Ours was much lower level. And I live in Queensland, which was one of the states that was least affected by COVID. Um, If I was in Sydney or Melbourne, it would have been an entirely different story. Melbourne and Sydney definitely copped it. Um, So those teachers will probably tell you something different. Up here, our longest lockdown lasted for five weeks. Um, And in that five weeks, I still worked the entire time. And we still had what started with about 10% of our student population and grew steadily to around 60% of our student population by the end of lockdown because of our essential workers, their kids had to come to school. And then suddenly as time wore on, everyone was an essential worker because there was nothing that we could do to say, no, you're not, take your child home. So um, uh, my essential sanity requires this child to not be under. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sort of like, this is a hate crime um, yeah. and it I is because I hate it. You're like, um, I, hate, I hate having and you want the kids to not miss out or get totally off the rails and stuff. So if you guys weren't as impacted, did you guys do online teaching? Because my husband who was did. doing Yeah, my, my husband, he keeps asking me. He has you can't see it because it's behind my computer. He has this massive monitor that he got because he was teaching for an entire year. Then he started that first year when we went on lockdown, he did the rest of the, t- the semester that way. And then the next year he was put into one of the, the tracks that was gonna do the whole year virtual. And so we got this giant monitor as a second monitor. And he's like, yeah, it's a business expense because he needed it for teaching. But you know, it's really nice to watch movies on, honestly. So I'm like, oh no, <laughs> gee darn. The so almost, I know, like we almost never watch movies in the w- place where we have a giant TV because yes, it's giant, but it's far away from us. Whereas this is like right here. So I'll switch positions and I'm like, this far from Lee Pace with foundation. I'm like, hi, what's going on? Hey, I can see every line on your pectoral muscles. Um, but that's that's just what I do. He probably doesn't sit that close because he's not interested in Lee Pace that way, but that's fine. Um, so yeah, your kids probably aren't as derailed if they weren't gone as long. So that's no, probably good. It was definitely it was definitely a little bit more chill. But even with it, like I, my daughter at the time um, was in prep. And I remember as a parent thinking um, she's in her first year of school. And going into the lockdown, like no one had any idea how long it would last for, right? We were just told we were going into lockdown and, until further notice. And, 
And I kept thinking, well, America's been in lockdown, you know, parts of America have been in lockdown for this long now. Like what if we end up just being in lockdown for six months? Like and what is that going to do with her? Like this is her foundation year. Um, how far behind is she going to be and all of the rest of the kids? She's going to miss out on her first half year of school. Like it was just um, it was kind of devastating for me as a mum and a teacher uh, luckily, yeah, five weeks later, we were all back at school. We did have two more lockdowns after that, but they only lasted for, uh, I think one of them was one week and then the next one was two weeks long. So, like, very short. Um, and it was really, really disruptive, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't derail children. We, so, um, we I, What I have noticed, though, is that the resilience in those children specifically or in all the children that were affected, like there's, they're in some ways they became more resilient. They had to learn from home. They had to manage their device. They had to work around the challenges in that. Um, and in other ways they as they have lacked resilience so much or they've lost it um, because now every, like now I just think the absenteeism is so high now so so high um kids will like kids are missing school for like as they should if they're like genuinely sick but I think somewhere along the way in COVID we just went everyone stay home if you're even feeling one percent off just stay home and I think that's how you might be sick you yeah, and it's just had this huge impact. I just noticed from, like, my first years of teaching, to, I've been teaching for um, almost 11 years now, and from the first years of teaching, I just remember if I had four students away in a day, I was like, what's going on? Plague. Did we have the plague run through the class? Like, where are they? Um, why four? Four in one day? Were How they all odd? Day, licking um, the same nose? Yeah, and it was like it was an odd occurrence. And you'd tell other teachers, you'd walk in and be like, I've got four kids missing today. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, I'm gonna have to catch those kids up. Like, it was a huge thing. And and now having now I have on average about four kids a day that are absent. Like, that's just the like the assumed amount of kids, um, that you would have away in a day. And so, I think, like, in that sense, like, the absenteeism rate is like so high now. Um, yeah, so I, that's what I've noticed is the biggest thing is that there's the absenteeism is definitely skyrocketed. Um, and I think it has a, like a pretty profound effect on, um, their attention. Oh, I'm sure it does. And especially when, when we've trained them to have to be on online devices and then we're like, we don't want you on online devices, but we've trained them to need it. It's really hard to kind of go back and be like, okay, not anymore now. Okay. That's, that's done. And we, we have that same issue here with both our, our children's and like my personal children, but just the children in general, like eh, all the children here in, in California. Um, but I, I remember seeing something on your website that you, one of your teachers said you wrote like at least adequate for your for your age and I was really really thank you for bringing I mean, that, that up actually I really got an award for that like did that I teacher encourage um, you or did that teacher I, just it's stuck in the back of your head going I'm gonna show him uh, <laughs> I don't I didn't I didn't come on here to brag but um but you're anyway, my, so. she, she did put my poem in an anthology of student poems for that year um, that was sent around the entire southeast coast of Queensland, and which means around about twenty schools. 
So, so been literary famous for decades. Basically, yeah, yeah, this has been the trajectory of my mm-hmm. life. Like from that moment, there was no question that I was going to. Yeah, yeah. just it's a, it was quite obvious to me that I was meant to do this. Um, what did I write about? Can't remember. Um, I also, she also, I remember the same one. Uh, the comment that she made about uh, above standard was uh, I had to rewrite the end of The Great Gatsby um, and you could rewrite the ending of The Great Gatsby however you wanted. And uh, most students turned in something like the last page. They took the last page of The Great Gatsby and they rewrote the last page. I rewrote the last chapter um, because, of course, and from, from, for my efforts, uh, I was told that it was above standard. So that's amazing. And she probably was only mildly annoyed that she had to read more than she probably hoped to read because, you know, that was probably. Oh, I strongly suspect that she didn't read much of it. Um, probably not. But that's but, okay. But you know, it's all, it's the all point good. The is that I got, above, I got an above standard. So, and, I, and translating that to American grades, I'm going to say that's at least a B, plus, probably, maybe. I don't know. Lately. Like, it really would only matter if you're either applying to a college with that grade or going to Chuck E. Cheese and getting tokens for A's for, for grades. So, I mean, you want to know how many tokens you get and how much skee-ball you could get. Is that a real thing? Um, it used to be. I don't think it is anymore because more and more schools change it to like effort grades or it's supposed to be. And like, do not get my husband started on this, but it's supposed to be like standards based grading and all this stuff. And then it just becomes kind of crazy. But all I know is that we used to also be able to get things like pizza for reading more books and they don't do that for adults anymore, which is probably good. Yeah. Cholesterol's high and I should not be eating that much cheese anymore, which is sad. But I do feel like we should be rewarding kids and adults for wanting to be good readers and doing that in whatever way they want, including your kids, like your students don't read your books. Do they know oh, you're an author? Do they know you're an author? Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so my last school that I was at, I, um, I was pretty good at keeping everything under wraps. Like there wasn't, there really wasn't that many people at the school mm-hmm. in terms of staff or students that knew I was on social media, that knew I was like writing this book. Um, and this was before Ledge came out as well. And then as it was coming out, there still weren't that many people. A few of the staff cottoned on, especially like my good friends there, they knew all about it. Um, but otherwise the school community really had zero idea. Like and then I moved lounge, just like sitting yeah. there going, it was very safe. Know. It was very safe. And, um, I, I had to transfer to this new school this year because I spent 10 years at this other school and that's sort of in, and like our state, that's time up. You've got to move to a new school. Wait, so I moved to the new school. Wait, I yeah, didn't- yeah. Okay, so like certain denominations of pastors have to move every so often so that they don't get yeah. sedentary. Why do they do that with teachers? Well, so we're employed by the state and okay. the school. I think um, I don't. I might be wrong, but um, I think in America, when you go for a job as a teacher, you literally go up to the school and have an interview, and it doesn't quite work the same way here in Australia. You have an interview with the board on the region, and then you're distributed to a school. Distributed, so, like you're a resource. Here's twenty pencils so, and five. Um, Stacey, did you freeze? I lost Stacey for a second. Can you see me? I can see you. Now you're there. You're good. 
Yeah. So, so you went and you interviewed at the school board. Oh no. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. I can hear and you. And you're moving. This is. And I'm moving and you're moving. Okay. okay. So you were saying okay, you, you don't um, interview at the school. You interview with with the state. Yeah, and then so you're a state teacher and you get um, put in a region in like reasonable proximity from your house and. Mm -hmm. um, and after it's changed now, now it's five years when I, but luckily last year it was still 10 years. So once you're 10 years at a school, um, you get moved on basically to a, a new school. And then, but now it's changed to five years. So technically at this school that I'm at now, after I'm there for five years, um, I could get moved on again. So what, that's just kind of how, how what's it works. What's the logic for that? So because our country is we're a very very big country but we all live on the border right because yeah, yeah. the center's too hot but yeah, we still but have no, people that live closer to the center yeah <laughs> so yeah. we have, still have people that live inland in farming countries and things like in like remote and rural areas mm -hmm. so they need to send teachers there and they do but eventually those teachers want to come back and there has to be room for them <laughs> so okay, sense. yeah so uh, it's the same with teachers that get sent up north where it's stifling hot and super, super tropical. So um, in our state, we have both of those. So we have rural and remote areas and then we have the rural and remote areas that are up north. And um, they're just most of the time, it's not like a long-term plan for people to, to live there. They're going there for a few years and then they want to come back. So to be able to allow those people to come back, we have to shuffle people um, around the area. Um, and it, we also need to make room for new teachers that are coming in as well. So I think it's just a way to keep everyone moving and to keep no schools stagnant as well. If you've got like this rotating um, staff that's coming in, it also means that if there's teachers that are a bit problematic, like we can try it because they're conflicting with other staff members, we can move people on in that scenario as well. Um, before it creates a huge problem yeah so I think there's a lot of benefits to it obviously it's not great um, when you've got kids that you're taking to work with you and that need yeah. to change schools when you change schools but um, yeah I don't know it's just one of those things so that's kind of how it works here so now at your new school do they know about chasm and like yeah this is the whole point of why we're talking about this <laughs> that's why so I, I turned up we turned up to the I turned up to the new school thinking clean slate and absolutely no one here will know that I'm online or that I'm an author which I which is what I want by the way like I would like that to stay <laughs> like that forever I walked into my orientation meeting with one of the deputy principals the principal and a couple of other new staff members that were starting at the school were having this meeting and like a welcome to the school you'll be teaching here next year let us show you around and then tell you all the bits and pieces. And the first thing the deputy principal said to me was, I watched all of your TikToks last night and I went, shit, you're Do kidding I still me. have a job? <laughs> yeah, and was literally like, why did you do that? And um, the reason I went, I'm at that school is because I, I knew one of the other deputy principals there. He used to be my boss at the old school, so I'd contacted him and said, I need to move schools. Is there any way that you can find a position for me there? And he did. He was standing in the doorway just smiling at me. And I'm like, you did this. You did all of this. Mm -hmm. He then proceeded to, like, show a copy of my book that he had purchased <laughs> to everyone. Um, so I walked in on uh, one of my first days and met my teaching team and every single one of them knew. A couple of them had already read the book. Um, 
<laughs> they all at this point had followed me online, at least on Instagram. And then when I walked into my classroom on the first day, two of the children had a copy of the book on their desk. <laughs> this is and, not when I pointed, and when I saw it, I went, oh, why do you have that? Why do you have that? And I thought, did mum put this in your bag and be like, let Mrs. Mac to sign it? Please sign ask, it. Ask Mrs. Mac to sign it. Like, is that what happened? No, what happened was the word got around, the parents of these kids knew, and so they were like, oh, I'll purchase the book for you and you can read it in class. That will be a great thing to do. <laughs> oh, no. So I went, what is this? And they told me that and I went, oh, my God. and I went I just immediately went listen no this is an adult book I it's not a children's book it's not a middle fiction book I didn't write it for children and they're saying it's too violent that's all I say I say it's too violent and it's got adult things it's not meant for you and if mum and dad knew the kinds of scenes and stuff were in it they wouldn't be happy for you to read it and I'm like this could also be having the opposite effect of ten-year-olds. if I tell them that there's content in there that's adult themed and stuff, They're all like, that's going to make them want to go read it, right? So um, I was like, Jesus Christ, I could be shooting myself in the foot. Um, but I said, put it in your bag and take it home. Thank you so much. And they did. And I then had sent a blanket email to all parents saying, yes, I did write a book. It's not for children. Please don't buy it for your youngin and send it into school for them to read in their free time. Um, <laughs> please check the trigger warnings before you buy books. Seriously, you're um, very good at putting the trigger warnings on there. Right. Like I've got your website scrolling below here and you do not hide that there are trigger warnings. Of no, like because I don't want people to think that this is appropriate for children. It's not. No, no. Um, but I understand that people might think that automatically if they know that I'm a teacher. So I'm like, no, that's like these two parts of my life. I keep very, very separate. I also have the issue of 10 year olds following me on social media because they're 10 and they all have social media now. Um, so they started, so I had to threaten and, and do like all the things to say, if I find out that you're following me on social media, not only will I, I won't just block you. I will report you to TikTok. I will have your parents sit down with me and discuss the fact that you are following a teacher, which is completely inappropriate. And it's violating our relationship. As like, I had to do all of the things. Um, so thankfully I haven't had problems in that regard, but these are all things that I had to contend with going into this new school, keeping in mind that initially I thought I was walking into a new school with a clean slate. No one knew who I was, no one knew anything. And I was just going to be like, I'm just a teacher. Don't worry about what I do in my free time. Uh, no, that was not the case. And the books are out, so it's too late to be like, because so uh, Melissa O'Connor, who does write under a pen name, she's like, that's why I'm writing a pen. It, yeah, it's too late, though, Melissa. Yes. It's too late. If there's but, one thing that I could change um, yes. in the, all of this, it would have been to use a pen name. Use a pen name so you don't. I mean, like, yeah. I use two different pen names, but they're both my real name. But that, for me, is because I do write in two different genres, but they're all mm. adult books. And so when, when my almost eight-year-old says, you know what my favorite author is? you i'm like you are not allowed to read my books child and he just, <laughs> he's just saying that because he's kissing up because the flip side of that is also he's obsessed with youtube and i'm like i'm on youtube he's like no you're not i'm like no but i am i i want to go live with the youtubers and i go you do live with the youtubers like no i'm not like, <laughs> a YouTuber. i'm not like mr beast or whatever and i don't have branded 
energy chocolates or whatnot. Okay, so we are almost at an hour, and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't share Cap's question. Any suggestion for querying authors? I think I read somewhere that you did a TikTok pitch for your book. Is that right? Yeah, so I've queried uh, agents uh, in the past with, like, different manuscripts when I was a lot younger and um, and with, with no success at all. Uh, I didn't really do it with too much gusto. Uh, there's not a lot of agents here in Australia, but I did manage to find the details of like three different ones and sent them my stuff and, um, yeah, and had no success. And when it came to writing Ledge, I actually didn't even think about querying an agent. I just went straight ahead and thought I'm just going to self-publish this thing. I had followers and I thought I'm just going to utilise the followers that I have to sell this book. Um, so I'd sort of given up on the idea that I might be able to find an agent. I didn't have any trust in the process of it. And I knew that I wasn't very skilled at querying either, like a, writing a query letter. No, thank you. Writing a synopsis. Absolutely not. Um, so hard. Uh, so I pitched it on, um, TikTok to like my audience. Like I, you know, I just, I said what, the, what kind of book it was going to be, what the premise of the book was. I showed the cover I shared the title but before that before I had all of that stuff ready to go I was hinting I was making my usual silly fun content and I was hinting that I was writing a book and it was going to be fantasy romance and it was going to have all the best tricks and none of the crap tricks and you know just saying things like that and um and people were like great can't wait to read it not knowing a damn thing other than that um, but for some reason there were still people that were like willing to give it a shot. Um, and this was more in the earlier days of, of book talk, I suppose, um, where people were a lot more trusting and, um, and yeah, and I shared a couple of like small quotes and excerpts from the book and things along the way, but very sparsely. And then I did that big pitch and it went really well. And that's how Amy Collins, who is our agent found me and, um, she found me through that pitch and um, a couple of publishers found me through that pitch as well. And I think it just gets shared and passed around and eventually it finds someone in the industry. I think if you're querying agents, agents right now want to know that you are actively involving yourself in online communities because it's it's such a huge um, market uh, and it's, it's one of our only ways to read large amounts of, reach large amounts of readers. So um, if you're in Discord groups, if you're um, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, and you're involving yourself in those communities, whether you've managed to um, trick a bunch of people into following you or not, like I did, um, I don't think it matters that you are actively engaged in that. So I think lots of people go, oh, no, I've only got like 300 people that follow me, so there's no point mentioning that in my career level. Yes, there is. Even if you don't say I've got 300 people following me, say I'm an active member of the Bookstagram community. I'm an, you know, like tell them that you're involved in those communities because they want to hear that because it saves them the breath needed to persuade you to go ahead and do those things that they need you to do anyway. If you're already doing them, they're like, well, great, at least they're on board. You know, I think that's really important and it is what they want to hear right now. Um, so if you're coming at them with like, I don't do any of those things, I'm like, I'm not online at all, or they can't see that, um, then they're probably going, well, like, is this already too hard? Unfortunately, that's just like the nature of it. They look at all of those things first. And then after they've looked at those things, they read the premise of the book. You know, they read the synopsis. 
they don't read the synopsis first. And I think you will even see that now, like when I have done more recent querying, you'll just see more and more places where it's like, show me your social media, show me yeah. what's your website, what's your presence like. And it's not necessarily they're looking for how many followers, but they want to see, are you no. actually doing these things? They want to know, know. Yeah. They want to know that you're on board with it. I think that's more yeah. it. And I think exactly. um, you're shooting yourself in the foot querying and not mentioning those things because you're worried that that follower number isn't high enough or anything. Don't, don't worry about it. They want to see that you're, that you're engaged in it, that you're trying, that you're willing to, to put that work in. That's what they're looking for more than anything. So um, like things like this that Alison's doing, like your, um, do we call it a podcast? This, yeah, it's live a streaming. It is yeah. it's a live podcast, but there will be, there's an audio version that goes later. So I know sometimes when I'm yeah, doing perfect. things, I have to yeah. so it. Things like this, amazing. Like, you know, well, what more could they possibly ask of you? Well, and I think some of it, like you said, it's the willingness because I think yeah. old school, there used to be an old school of authors are like, my job is to write the books and I am not the yes. product and I don't need to. And that was great 30 years ago, but that doesn't exist anymore. And not the case anymore. Exactly. And now, of course, um, Kat is a shrinking violet and is scared of interacting with uh, humans online. Just kidding. She's like a huge, she's got a huge Instagram following and, and TikTok. Well, it's Twitter, but it's not Twitter. X, whatever. Um, she's she's great on that and is one of the funniest people I know. So she's she's totally fine doing yeah, all good that. on you well then you're gonna smash it she's she's awesome but i know she's looking for more tips and i think everybody always is because it is just stupid competitive and you mentioned yeah. I, I make no secret of the fact that when i met with my now agent who's our agent she didn't i had not queried her because she was close to queries and she's like i'm a huge fan of your show i'm like you watch my show and that, yeah. was, that was a huge thing and I think there are more agents out there now who are looking for people who are like what do you bring besides just what you wrote what, what else can you bring to the table and yeah because you have, to have a book to back it up though so just <laughs> it can't be all podcast and no writing you got to do both yeah and that's like the tricky balance of it all but you're absolutely right it's it's um I wish I wish that this industry I think everyone wishes that this industry was based only on merit <laughs> you know, just the merit of your writing but almost no workplace or industry anywhere is based solely on merit it's just not the case anymore it, once upon a time absolutely not anymore it i'm sure it was at one point in time and i also know that so much has changed when there is the indie arm where people can kind of just do their own thing and you're seeing more yeah. indie authors get signed with big deals after they've already Which made usually yeah. not hurt it used to be like a cardinal rule yeah. That if you had a book and you posted it yourself, if you self-published that book, there's no hope for that book later getting signed. That's it. Like you have expended, like, do you know what I mean? Like that used to be a cardinal mm -hmm. rule. You do not distribute your book that you're hoping to get signed. Like as soon as you do that, that book is off the table. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. We're not touching it with a 10-foot pole. Now it happens all the time. People who self-publish a book, the book goes really well. And then publishing houses are all sidling up to them like, mm -hmm. hey, have you ever thought of being traditionally published? Like it's it's happening all the time now. Um, so it's kind of been, and it's all social media based, like it's just social yeah. media has just flipped the industry on its head and it's just trying really hard to catch up. It is. And I know so 
I've, I've already told Stacy, Stacy, come to our Discord where Amy's clients come and cause problems. And one of the things <laughs> she's done with us is that, like, TikTok is having, and I don't understand all the details, so I'm not even going to try to give them. They're doing their own publishing arm. TikTok and the social media industry has changed a lot of stuff. Bookstagram is a thing. You go into Barnes and Noble, it's like TikTok made me do it, and has these TikTok books. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's all these things that it's not the same as it was ten years ago, twenty years ago. It's it's changed everything and how you find an agent. It's going to be different for everybody, but you, you still got to write a good book. You still got to make sure you have a strong query letter, but all those other things help so much and standing out whatever way you can is always good. I mean, personally, yeah, Matt, you play string bass. I I'm saying there's no reason your husband, John can't write a song that is one of your query letters and then the bird and the beard do it. As a, as a live member and put it on there. And I don't know what could happen if, if he's cooperative. Look, Stacy's Michael cooperates. And I know your husband is at least sort of cooperative with things, Kat. So I'm just saying do it. Possibly. Maybe not. I think that you use the word cooperate. Do you know what else I would do? And I suggested this before to people is if you already have um, somewhat of an online presence, whether it's small, medium, big, somewhere in between, um, you don't talk about your your writing and your book ad nauseum, but talk about it sometimes. And then any likes, comments, follows, um, any encouragement that you receive from that online community, throw it in an agent's face. Look, I've already talked about what I'm writing and look how much interest I've got. Look how many people want to read it. Like, yes. you know, use that. That is so enticing to anyone in this industry right now. Is there already a readership that's built into this possible book, like how easy is that to form? Um, so do it strategically. Obviously, if, you, if your account is nothing but you talking about this idea that you've got in your brain that you're trying to write, people are going, mm. <laughs> what else What else are you offering now? Otherwise, I'm not following. But talk, like, use that, like leverage it. Um, that's why you're doing it in the first place, right? It's to it's a stepping stone to somewhere else. And yes, it like those accounts that we have, they can be really enjoyable, like creative places sometimes, but they're also supposed to be serving a bigger purpose. So use it. I think that's an excellent tip, Stacey. And with that, we are we are almost at an hour and ten minutes. And this is that's not how long we're supposed to go. I'm terrible. We should have stopped it a while ago, but then I do this on, on almost every single thing that it's I happen to appear on. <laughs> I I'm fine with it. I just wanted to say thank you. And just we barely even talked about your books. And so I know some people know you from your TikTok to not even know your books. So I just want to make sure we do remind people, Stacy writes these amazing books. I have my sweater proving that they are set in cold places that Stacy <laughs> doesn't want to go, which I don't blame her because she makes them sound horrible, except for the prints <laughs> that are amazing and then like sexy guys, some who have like sexy wings. I did not wear wings. I did consider wearing wings, but I only have like kid butterfly wings, which would not, they weren't right. Yeah, it's not quite the same vibe. No. And I, I appreciate I the I don't have my mage wand, but I could have used one of my kids' little mixy wands. It's only about like two inches and it wouldn't really work. I'd have to have it right at the camera. Um, but these books are amazing. I did want to ask, when does the third one come out? Where are we in the process of that third book? And can I have it now? Uh, the third book I've only just finished writing, which is really oh. exciting. So we're in the editing phases of it now, but uh, it won't release until September next year. So a whole year. Yeah, that's sorry, funny. not sorry. No, oh, well, listen, we wanted to ask slow me. moving machine. Honestly, no, traditional publishing one one a year is actually I want to say 
pretty standard yeah, one and a half that's just two is normal yeah. too any uh, honestly anything more than one e is considered an accelerated release so yeah, that, that's a bit much and sometimes you see other things because people have deals with multiple publishers or in different genres so they're like book here book there and all this stuff and then books are just yeah. flying out and that's great if you can pull it off but i think it's unrealistic to, to expect high quality books like yours are to be thrown at us like monthly these are not people magazine yeah. where it's just all pictures and some fluff because your books are not they're not fluff there's there's fantasy and it's romance but i don't feel like there's fluff not really it's, i appreciate it well and i it's funny because your books are it's not that there's not any wit or humor in them because it's there but they're not funny books these are not comedies these are like people are dying people's freedom is at stake yeah, it's pretty life, brutal life and death stuff people are getting their souls sucked out and and then you're like hey here's my fantasy boyfriend he's a balloon so it's kind of like <laughs> hey set bring us back to where the the hard stuff's happening where the axe hits the tree and people may or may not be getting decapitated i don't really know i think that didn't happen <laughs> but but people are literally living and dying and where you've left us at the end, I can't say anything because people, some people are just like, wait, there's books. So go read Ledge and then go read Chasm. Do you have a title for book three that I get next September or earlier if I beg nicely? I think we're going to reveal the title and the cover of the third book together, like in one parcel. Um, so I can't tell you what it is now. We only really just decided on it because I hadn't, I had a name in my head for the, the third book for ages and ages. And, um, I wanted it to follow along with like Ledge and Chasm are both place names, so I wanted the third one to be a one-word yeah. um, place name as well. Ooh, um, okay. That just made where it that be. just made sense to me. Um, yeah. But the if I did that, it would actually kind of spoil the third book before people even read it. So yeah. oh, I get that because of where because of where book two leaves off. If I mm -hmm. then say book three is called this enter the place name here people are like oh so that's where they end up then like it kind of it kind of led to a spoilery type territory so I went okay so we can't um yeah, bring it back we Try can't again. do that <laughs> yeah. so it's sitting on my um in my documents right now and it's still called that like I haven't had the heart to change it yet because I've had it in my head for so long that that's what the third book's going to be called but it's not now it's going to be called something different um still a place name still a one word place name to follow the thing um, but it's going to be, it's going to be, I can tell you that the cover is going to be green. Uh, make of that what you will. Well, it, it would be a nice completion. So if anybody saw on social media, I had the two covers and trying to find something that went with the colors. Cause like the ledge is more dark blue and then ice looking and then chasm's got the, yes. the red. Okay, and oh, you've got them. Yeah. See, I listened to both of them, which is why I was like, I got an arc. I'm like, but I, it's coming out on audio. I want to hear it. So yeah. So you chasm is more okay your your version even looks more purple in person those are gorgeous they are gorgeous I love them so much and yeah I, no so I, this one's like i guess it's like a maroon yeah maroon like, it's so like a ready yeah i like it yeah cat, so cat yeah obviously blue for the ledge and then this is showing like the night sky looking up at it um yeah, from the chasm yeah. and then the third the third cover will be green and it will match um i just can't tell you what the name is so make of that what you will. Speculate. Um. <laughs> no, and, and I love that you're you're continuing the trend, but then also being aware of, okay, I can't say this or that. And I, again, I'm going to be talking in super vague things that people who haven't read are be like, what? 
things happen at the end of book one that I'm like, how are you going to do this in book two? And then things change in book two. And I'm like, okay, here are, here we go. Here we go. But I can't even, you can't even talk about those things. So it's no, like, it's so hard. I, I know it's been my biggest challenge is what? like talking about the books without talking about the books. Yeah, and like, how do you, when you blurb a second book without spoiling what happened at the end of book one, especially if someone looks at them, not knowing what order it's like after this thing happened and they're like, what? Oh, this is yeah. the second book. Crap. And then you've just spoiled your entire first book you're like thank you right. for the order of the stuff and the thing so yeah <laughs> don't do it don't do it correct those lovely audiobooks i thoroughly enjoyed them you didn't have the same narrator for both of them but they were both really well done no. so i don't know if you listened to them i just want to know why you didn't narrate them because then they would have had the cool australian accents this is a great question um that i have received many times yes my answer is that it doesn't i'm just going to give you an example actually okay read it, read it. okay um i just want you to pretend that you're hearing this with like a very like bbc british accent like a really fancy one one that we would typically um put with this kind of medieval fantasy. And then I want you to hear the juxtaposition of my voice, okay? Okay. The cold is cruel, but it's not a lie. It can consume you, extort you, and convince you to do unspeakable things. It can turn your enemies into body heat and your friends into the coats you steal from their backs. The cold does not live, but there can be no ridding yourself of it. I just don't think that that has the same effect as, like, BBC pronunciation, you know? I mean, you're right. And, and Kat said she, uh, I can't do math. How many zeros is that? She 10,000% would listen. Um, I would too, but it is funny because, so I didn't, I hadn't heard your TikToks and then I listened to both these books and then I'm hearing that. And then I'm like, well, why isn't she doing this? Especially even how you say some of the names, because as I joke, and it's not a major character, you've used some of the names from your characters in the book in your, your TikTok videos with your husband. Yeah. Michael is one of them. I'm married to a Michael too. So I appreciate that he's left out of it. And you know, oh, I know there will never be a Michael. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, Michael's not a fantasy name. Um, no, but like, Dawson and, and Ryan and like Ruby. Okay. Ruby's the name we kind of know. And then Baltice, my brain just does not get that one. Um, King Vastiel, my brain wants to run into best. Yes, like, and it's like, no, no, that's no. Fine. so, so you probably even pronounce these differently, but your, your editor, your editors, your narrators do sound BBC British. Like we expect, cause that's, that's not like the American expectation is high enough fantasy. It's British. Maybe New Zealand. Yeah. Cause we have like the hobbits. We, we appreciate hobbits sounding like Kiwi. <laughs> That's usually all right. We, I just, I've been to America a couple of times in my life and I was so shocked by the amount of people that were like, I love your accent. And I was like, why? This is the dirtiest, like slackest <laughs> accent in the entire world. I'm convinced <laughs> of it. It is a bastardization of the British language, like of a British accent. Um, I'm fully convinced that they just, when we were convicts sailing over here from Britain, it was because of our, it was because we couldn't speak properly. Like that's what I think it was. And then they brought us here and went, get out, get out. You're an embarrassment. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, the Brits don't find our accent appealing, but Americans do. But we do. And I think that's what I don't understand because I would have to go back and look at one of those history timelines to go, okay, your convict ancestors got to Australia and they're like, here, go play with the pouch animals. And then we got sent over and then we did the thing in Hamilton and we will be back and all that. And we don't sound anything like you. None of us do. We don't no. sound like you guys, but you guys sound 
it doesn't sound like the Brits, but I sound, I hear where it comes from. How did we end up sound like this? And I, I mean, I try to tone it down. So I'm not like totally Valley girl, but I sound very Californian when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> but I do pick up other accents because my, my background is Pennsylvanian. So I sound a little bit kind of Dutch when I'm not, when I'm around too many of my relatives and I'm like, Oh, I sound like a Philly person. I need to stop that too. But <laughs> we don't sound like the UK. And so I don't know where we just said, okay, now we're independent. We aren't going to talk like you guys anymore. More. and we just lost I, I think we're just like we're just on this island over here and we're yes. isolated and we're also like a very young country like it wasn't that long ago that we were brought okay. over here um our yeah our and our lineage really does not go back very far mm-hmm. yours goes back a That's lot okay. further like you you guys have been in America for a while like mm-hmm. you've been there for a while um <laughs> We have not been in this country for like all that long. So perhaps our accent just hasn't morphed yet. Or perhaps we're just so isolated from the rest of the world <laughs> that we just, I don't know, there was no influence. You guys were influenced by a few different areas. We we are because we, we have different regions. And I will just say, and this, and then I really should wrap this up, but I will just say as a parent, maybe the reason we find your accent so comforting is you all sound like the Wiggles and we love the Wiggles. <laughs> oh, it's like the Wiggles. Well, maybe that's the we're secret. Like, we're like rockabye your bear and we, we all want to sound like, and, and I'm like OG Wiggles and my kid, my eldest oh, kid saw the original Wiggles and the later ones are lovely too. And I don't know if Anthony's still doing it. Yeah, but we didn't vibe. I always showed the OG Wiggles to yeah. my, both of my kids. O- OG. And and as much as I like a girl who plays drums in a bow that's bigger than her head, I'm like, no, Anthony and Wake Up Jeff and Murray and obviously. Oh, you know, Murray. Sweet, those sweet are, Murray. Those are, my, those are my guys. And I maybe that's just we hear that and we think, oh, the kids are going to calm down because I used to play Wiggles incessantly for my incessantly for my eldest and that would make her calm down. So I feel like there's something genetic in us that we hear the Australian accent. We go, oh, it's all right. Everything's fine. Everything's we might fine. be onto something. We could be. It's just Wiggles. I don't know. Stacey, you are amazing <laughs> and hilarious. And folks, you see her website is scrolling down below. Also, follow her links are on that website to follow her on TikTok and all these things. And then just go buy her books because they are awesome. You can get them on Audible like I did because I'm an ear person. I like those. And you can get the physical copies if you're a bookshelf person like Stacey obviously is to have the gorgeous ones. You just pet the covers. I think, yeah. I think Pat and Melissa and crew are like, yes, I want to pet my covers. But Stacey, you're amazing. Please come join us on, Des- on Discord because we love you. And everybody, we will see you next yeah. month. I, have, I will go from the glaciers to far space because I'm going to have Essa Hansen on and I will have to learn all the technical jargon between now and then. And it's it's not going to be pretty, but I'm going to try. Bye, everybody. It's Bye. Bye. <laughs>